to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Good morning, everyone. For those that don't know me, my name is Eni Swart, and I'm going to be sharing the word with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> just want to read you a, a short and um, I think quite powerful portion of scripture from Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to be speaking on um, the elements of discipleship, and um, I'm going to be doing so from Mark chapter 3, from verse 13. It says, and he went up on a mountain. The he there is Jesus, of course. And Jesus went up on a mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, uh, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And one of the things that Jesus is best known for is for calling disciples. Almost all the Gospels, in fact, I think all the Gospels do state right at the beginning that Jesus called disciples. Uh, you have many, some of you might have heard of the so-called Jesus Seminar, uh, which is a group of very skeptical liberal scholars that came together. Well, most of them are, uh, are skeptical liberal scholars. And, and they tried to um, discover what they call the historical Jesus behind the Gospels, as though the Gospels aren't historically accurate. <laughs> Obviously, we know they're wrong there. But, but um, even they, even those most skeptical of scholars, you know, who, who try and throw out as much of the Bible as possible, could not throw out the fact that Jesus called disciples and that Jesus made disciples. I mean, um, that, that's one of the things they, they, they said, you know, is just so abundantly clear um, that even they in their, you know, Hyper-skepticism couldn't deny it. Jesus uh, makes disciples, and he called. And, and th- this scripture to me, so in, in just three short little verses, so beautifully sums up what Jesus does in terms of discipleship. And if you can just go to the next slide quickly. I put up a little diagram there of three sort of phases of what Jesus does. And we see it in, in the scripture. It says, Jesus calls those he desires calls those he wants, then Jesus appoints them to be with him. Do you notice that? He appointed them to be with him. That's a little phrase that you can so easily miss. You know, that but that's actually actually crucial. Absolutely crucial. He appointed them to be with him, and then thirdly he sent them to preach and to deliver. And those are my, my three, three main points. So I'm just going to um, say a few things about that. So firstly, Jesus calls. And right now, at this very moment, as you're listening to me, you have either been called by Jesus or you are being called by Jesus. Some, Jesus calling people is not just something he did back then. It's something he does now. He just doesn't do it now himself directly. He does it through his people. Through people like me and you, <laughs> as we're going to see. Um, so right now, you are either called or you are being called. And, and what, what makes that quite interesting, I mean, to us, that's not so surprising because 
I mean, we're we, we used to reading the Gospels, and we're used to reading about Jesus walking and saying to Peter um, and his brother Andrew, come, you know, the fishermen, you know, busy mending their nets. He says to him, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So we're used to Jesus calling people because we read it in the Gospels. But in those days, people weren't, weren't used to rabbis calling people to become their disciples. In those days, the rabbis didn't go and say, you, come follow me. You went to the rabbi and you applied to him. You brought your CV. You brought your credentials. You brought your spiritual CV. And you said it before him. And then he perused it and said, mm, is this guy, you know, is he the right caliber for me, you know? Is he, is he, does he make the cut? Is he worthy of being my disciple? And then maybe, you know, if you were like an A student or something, then he'd say, yes, okay, fine. You know, you can pay me and then I'll be your rabbi. I'll disciple you. And here comes Jesus. And that, that's the way rabbis and disciples worked in those days. And Jesus flips the whole thing around. And instead of, you know, people coming to Jesus and applying to be disciples and saying, here's my CV, here are my credentials, am I good enough to be your disciple? Jesus goes to them and he calls them to be his disciples. He calls them to come to him. And Jesus takes the initiative. Where, you know, in every other religion, it's man's job to take the initiative. In Christianity, God takes the initiative. That's what makes it different. All other religions are religions of man trying to attain righteousness, to attain um, holiness, to attain heaven, to attain eternal life. Christianity is the only religion where it's not about man trying to reach out to God desperately in some way or another, but God reaching out to man. God reaching out to man. But notice what he says. He says, Jesus called to himself all those he, he desired, he wanted. In other words, if you've been called by Jesus or if you are being called by Jesus, it's because Jesus wants you. You might not have friends who want you. You might not have family who wants you. Maybe your family doesn't want you and they rejected you. Maybe society doesn't want you. But there's one who does want you. And his name is Jesus. And he really does want you. He desires you. He wants you for himself. If you are a Christian here, realize that you were called by Jesus, not because primarily because you wanted him, but primarily because he wanted you. He says that in, in, in other words, in, in other places in Scripture, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Because I wanted you. I chose you because I wanted you. The world might look at you and they might not see anything they want, but I look at you and I see a lot that I want. I want you. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if, if Jesus, who is the creator and the king of the universe, wants you, why do you worry about it when people don't? If Jesus, the king of the universe, wants you and accepts you, why are you worried when people reject you? 
Why are you worried about what the captains and the soldiers do when the king desires you? Why? Why are we like that? Why do you worry about the fact that a pimply-faced 16-year-old boy doesn't want you when Jesus wants you? You all know what I'm talking about. We've all been there, right? We've all been at that place where the, you know, opinion of a teenager counts heavier than the opinion of Jesus. And we've got to ask ourselves in the light of the scripture, why? Why when the king wants us, are we so devastated when someone else whom the king created doesn't want us? Why does it matter to us when people reject us, when we are accepted by the one who matters most? Ultimately, his acceptance, his love, his wanting you is all that matters. One on judgment day, he's not going to say the tribe has spoken. You've been rejected. Your flame gets killed. You don't make the cut. You've got to leave the tribal council. He's not going to say that because the tribe's not going to speak. What the tribe thinks doesn't matter. What the king thinks matters. Amen? You are accepted by the one who matters most. He's called you because he wants you. Because he loves you. Now I know for some of you that's hard to accept. For some of you that's hard to accept because you look at yourself and you don't see very much in yourself that's lovely and lovable. You look at yourself and you think, if I was someone else, I wouldn't love me. You look at yourself and you see yourself through the eyes of your family or your friends or, or society who've rejected you so many times and told you how unworthy you are and you think, I don't deserve to be loved. How can anyone love me? Well, there's a big difference between the love of Jesus and the love of most other people. And you know what the difference is? Where we as humans tend to love conditionally, Jesus loves unconditionally. The world will say to you, people will often say to you, we will love you, we will accept you if. And then after the if, they state their conditions. Jesus says, I will love you. I will accept you. Despite. And then he states all the things that would have caused other people to reject you, but despite them, Jesus says, I still love you. I still accept you. So, here's the thing. Jesus loves you. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you feel like it or not, whether you like it or not, He loves you. What you need to do is receive that love. Receive that acceptance by responding in the way the disciples did. Jesus called to himself all those he desired and they came to him. They responded by coming. And you've got to come and receive that love. Come and receive his love that he has for you. I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. (laughs) One of the symbols in the Bible of the Holy Spirit is... The dove. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the dove came down? And uh, in intercession, they were telling me that um, 
They prayed a lot about the living waters and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's just reminding us, hey, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> Don't forget me. <laughs> okay. What, what is discipleship? When you think of discipleship, what do you think of? One definition of discipleship. One definition of discipleship is by uh, by Dr. Corne Becker. Um, is discipleship is deciding to be with a teacher under specific conditions in order to become like him. I think that's a very good definition. Discipleship is deciding to be with a teacher under specific conditions in order to become like him. I mean, you know, with all the problems and, um, you know, false religion contained in the Star Wars trilogy, well, not even the trilogy now, it's seven, seven movies now. You know, I mean, you have the force, you know, the force be with you and that kind of stuff, very new age and so on. You know, despite all the problems in that, in those, that series of movies, the one thing that Star Wars did get right is this whole issue of discipleship. Well, almost right. You know, you had the master and then you have this Padawan, like they call it, which is basically a disciple. And the Padawan spends time with the master and learns from the master how to become a Jedi Knight or, you know, whatever, you know. And to some extent, that captures a big part of what discipleship is all about. It's all about being with a teacher under specific conditions in order to become like him. Now, some of you think, okay, discipleship, what on earth does that have to do with me? I'm not a disciple, I'm a Christian, you know. Discipleship, I've heard of discipleship, but as far as I know, you know, you, you can be a Christian and then when you get like really serious about being a Christian, like, like you become a Christian on steroids, which they call a disciple, all right? Any of you think that? Don't put up your hands. <laughs> but I found that many Christians think that. It's like you can become a Christian and then when you become really serious, then you can become a disciple, which is a complete misconception. I mean, in, in Acts 11 verse 26, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In other words, the word Christian is just a nickname for a disciple. Right? The word Christian is just a nickname for a disciple. In other words, if you consider yourself a Christian, then you must be a disciple. If you're not a disciple, you cannot be a Christian because they're the same thing. The one is just a nickname for the other. A Christian is a disciple, is a follower of Jesus who wants to become like Jesus. Right? So, so, so don't sort of switch off when I talk about discipleship thinking that this has nothing to do with me. If you want to be a Christian, it has everything to do with you. You cannot be a Christian without being a disciple. So, here's the question. If a disciple is someone who decides to be with a teacher under specific conditions in order to become like them, to be with the teacher, he appointed them to be with him. How on earth, and I mean that quite literally, on earth, can we be disciples of Jesus Christ while he's sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father? He's not here anymore. We can't be with him like the early disciples were. He can't wash our feet like he did for the early disciples. 
How can we be with him when he's not physically here? I want you to actually think about that and quickly discuss that. Turn to the person next to you in groups of two or three and quickly discuss. How can we be with Jesus when he's not physically here? Okay, have you, have you guys decided, how can we be with Jesus when he's not physically here? I want, uh, some of these, those students over there, do you guys have an answer for me? <laughs> how can he live within you when he's at the right hand of the Father? The Holy Spirit. Okay, very good. So one way in which Jesus can be with us when he's not physically here is because he sent his Holy Spirit. In fact, he says, it's to advantage that I go away. Because unless I go away, I will not send the other paraclete. Now, now the, now when, when he says other paraclete in the Greek, it says alos parakletos. Alos means there are two words for other or another. The one is other Another of a different kind. And alos means another of the same kind. I'm going to send another paraclete. I'm your paraclete now. I'm the one who walks alongside you to help you now. I'm your rabbi, your master now. But I'm going to send another one who's like me. And it's the advantage that I go away. Because unless I go away, he won't be with you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the the spirit paraclete, is the spiritual presence of Jesus in his physical absence. So, very good answer. Okay, which other ways can we experience the presence of Jesus? Sunet, you want to? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Through the Word. I mean, when you read about Jesus, that's why the early disciples who experienced Jesus physically were eyewitnesses, wrote down their eyewitness testimonies of what Jesus taught them so that through those words He can teach us. We can experience Jesus through His Word. So one way in which he mediates himself to us, his presence to us, is through his Holy Spirit, spiritually, but then also through his word. He mediates his presence. And another way, is there any other way that we can experience the presence of Jesus? In prayer? But if we do it in prayer, then it's the Holy Spirit we're experiencing in prayer. So that's, that's the same as the Holy Spirit. So prayer is, is often the place and, and, and Luke, and Act, uh, Luke Acts makes that very clear. You know, you, you'll see whenever the disciples pray, they experience the Holy Spirit. So, so you're right to, to link um, prayer, the activity of prayer, with the experience of the Holy Spirit. 
Any other thing you can think of? Other believers, right? If Jesus through his spirit lives in other believers and they are the, quote, body of Christ. In other words, where the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spiritual presence, we as believers are his physical presence. We are the body of Christ. We are the physical presence of Jesus on earth. We are his hands and feet. If you want a hug from Jesus, then you have to come and get it from me. There we go. Jesus the hug there. <laughs> okay, I think the person next to you needs a hug from Jesus. Quickly, help them out. <laughs> In other words, what we're saying, and just quickly bring up the next slide, uh, Philip. Um, Sorry, just this, that one, yes. Okay. So what we're saying is that we tend to see discipleship like these pictures. Now, these are just random pictures I got off the internet. But we, <laughs> Jesus doesn't really look like that. He's, he's not white. <laughs> I mean, this white Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, that's a European Jesus that they made up. Jesus, I, I don't know what, what, what they were thinking. You know, Jesus is, a, is from the mid, Middle East. He's a Jew, you know. He probably looked like my son and my daughter, you know, with, you know, with, you know, slightly curly, you know, dark hair and, and sort of olive skin. You know, he wasn't white. Okay, so, you know, but these are all, you know, most of them sort of European pictures. But anyway, we think of Jesus like this. You know, Jesus walking by the sea, calling his disciples, saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. And, and discipleship is then following Jesus. We think of Jesus sitting around the table teaching his disciples and thinking, okay, discipleship is sitting and listening to Jesus and being served communion by him. We think of Jesus walking and his disciples walking with him and him teaching them. We think that's what discipleship is. But what I'm saying is, yes, that was discipleship for them and for them. But that's not how discipleship works for us. Bring up the other pictures quickly. This is more like what discipleship looks like for us this side of the ascension this side of the ascension where jesus has physically ascended into heaven discipleship looks like this the people of god experiencing the spirit of god and ministering the word of god that's what happened on the day of pentecost the people of god experiencing the spirit of god and ministering the word of god to one another and to the world that is how discipleship looks. In other words, I was thinking, you know, what are the, the irreducible minimum resources that you need for discipleship? Now, I, I, I use resources in sort of inverted commas because I can't really think of a better word. But I think you understand what I mean. What, what are the things without which you cannot do discipleship? Can you do discipleship without a mic? Mike's not essential for discipleship. I mean, it helps when you're preaching and you want to preach to a big audience, but it's not essential. Can you, can you do discipleship without a manual? You know, do I need to go to, to our um, office and go and check on the computer and print out a, a, a little, you know, 10-page manual for you? Otherwise, I cannot make disciples? No. You're not supposed to really need a, uh, you know, a printed manual. Uh, can I... Make disciples um, without a venue. 
So a venue is also not essential. I mean, what is essential? What are the things without which you cannot make disciples? We just spoke about it. The word, the spirit, and people. The word, the spirit, and people. Those are the three irreducible minimum resources. Now, I I say it with respect. Obviously, I I don't think the Holy Spirit is just a resource. But I'm talking in the context of discipleship. Those are the three irreducible minimum things without which you cannot make disciples. If you have people and the spirit, you cannot make disciples unless you also have the word. If you have people and the word, but you don't have the spirit, you also cannot make disciples. If you have... The word and the spirit, but no people, you also cannot make disciples, right? You need those three things and you need them together. You need all of three at the same time. The word, the spirit, and people. And then you can make disciples. Discipleship happens when those three things come together. So in other words, that little triangle there in the middle, that is where discipleship happens. Where the word, the spirit, and the people intersect. That's how Jesus makes disciples now. That's how we experience Jesus' call and his presence and his training, as we're going to see in a moment, and his sending, is when the word, the spirit, and the people come together and intersect. Okay, so... Jesus... Jesus called his disciples... And he appointed them to be with him, to experience his presence. Okay, that, that's the first step in discipleship, is coming to Jesus to experience his presence. In, in the beginning, Jesus is not so interested in what you do as in you just coming to him and experiencing his presence. That's the first step in discipleship. And, and many of you, I, I just feel by the Holy Spirit, are running around trying to do many things for Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, just quiet down, come here and just be with me. Just come and be with me. I I don't first and foremost want you to do stuff for me. I want you to come and be with me. Does that speak to your heart? Just come and be with Jesus. No amount of doing things for Jesus can make up for a lack of being with Jesus. So come and be. First and foremost, be with Jesus. Make sure that as part of your discipleship, you, you spend a lot of time being with Jesus. That's why what we did this morning when we worshiped was so, was so uh, powerful. Because we were worshiping corporately, people. And what we were worshiping, as uh, Kuba so nicely showed, was from the word. Blessed are those who dwell in his house. They are ever praising him. And it was in the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in us and amongst us that we experienced. And, and we were experiencing the presence of Jesus. And, and, and that's why what young George was saying is so important. He was saying, listen, some of you are struggling. You're distracted with all kinds of things, and you're struggling to experience the presence of Jesus through the, the people, the Word, and the Spirit. The presence that He wants you to experience, because that's the first step of discipleship. Experience His presence. But the re- one of the other reasons, once you experience his presence, he then, in his presence, trains you to be like him. To become like him. He says, come follow me, be with me and follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. I will train you. I'll make you fishes of men. We think that we have to make ourselves so that Jesus will be pleased with us. We must make ourselves fishers of men. We must make ourselves disciples. Guess what? Discipleship is not something you do to yourself. 
Hello. For some of you, that's a revelation. Really? <laughs> Guess what? Discipleship is something Jesus does to you. You, the disciple, he's the disciple maker. Discipleship is something he does to you, it's not something you do to yourself. You were thinking, oh, I must try harder, I must work harder at my discipleship. You cannot work hard at your discipleship because discipleship is not something you do to yourself. It's something Jesus does to you. And that's why being a disciple is coming and being with him, following him. And then he will make you. Come, follow me, command, and I will make you promise. I promise to make you a fisherman. I promise to make you a disciple. If you come to be with me, I will make you like me. So he says, I guarantee you, if you come to be with me, if you obey my command to come to be with me, then I promise you that I will make you to be like me. You won't have to do it yourself. Once again, Christianity is not a man-centered religion. We have to make yourself. We have to form yourself. We have to force yourself to become like Jesus. All you have to do is come and be with him under the right conditions. And he will make you to be like him. So his disciples, if you go to the next slide, his disciples, while they were being with, with him, they were being trained by him. And, and it says, um, I will send you, this is the end result of being with him and being trained by him, is I will send you to proclaim the word, to preach the word, and to cast, to cast out demons, to have authority to cast out demons. And, and what those two things represent is, Jesus trains us to do two things. He trains us to do the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel um, I think it was uh, John G. Lake who came to South Africa and he was only here for a couple of years but the whole AFM RGS movement started from from his ministry and um, even the Zionist church the ZCC actually came out of a revival that started from his ministry. Unfortunately, you know, they, there's some other stuff that came in as well, but they, they were probably the biggest church in Southern Africa, the ZCC. So, I mean, yeah, had really a powerful ministry. Um, but he said one day, I can't remember to whom he said it, but he said, I am done with everything in life except the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it's all about. I'm done with everything except the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and how does he, he do his training? And that, that little diagram over there shows us. It's a diagram that my friend Ross Van Ikak put up. And many of you have probably seen it because I've used it before. But he says there are four stages in training. First you say it. In other words, you explain it. You preach it. You, you, you tell about it. Then you show it. You demonstrate it. You model it. So people can follow your example. Then you support. So you say, show, and then support while they do it. Then the disciple has to do it and you support them. And then finally when that's done, you send them. And they go and do the same. They say, show, support, and send. Other people to say, show, support, and send. Can you see it's a snowball effect? There's a Chinese proverb that says, I, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. 
I do and I understand. If you only say it, if Jesus had only said it to us, we would have forgotten it. But he says it and then he shows it. And when we see it, we hear and we forget, but we see and we remember. He shows it and then we remember. But then he sends us to do it ourselves while he supports us. I do and I understand. And when, once I do and I understand, I can then be sent to say, show, and support others and then send them. Does that, does that make sense to you? That's very simple but very profound. And if, if you don't get that, you cannot make disciples. And if you cannot make disciples, you cannot fulfill your calling. You cannot raise children. You cannot be a good husband or wife. You cannot be a good friend. Because ultimately, all of those things boils down to discipleship. Helping others to become more like Jesus. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, so he says two things. Um, I send you out to preach the word, and I'm going to talk about preaching in, in, in a moment, and give you authority to cast out demons. Um, what does preaching mean? I mean, we often have stereotypes about preaching. Preaching is something the preacher does. Preaching is something that the pastor does, right? That's what we think. What does preaching mean? A preacher, to, 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 to preach, the, the Greek word means to, to proclaim or announce or herald. A preacher was a herald. Now, do you know what a herald is? Nowadays, we don't have heralds anymore, you know, except maybe on TV, you know, when someone is giving like a, a press release, then they are sort of acting as a herald. But in the olden days, the herald would come when, before you had like mass media and stuff, the herald would come on his horse and he'd climb down and he'd roll up a scroll, open a scroll and say, hear he, hear he, thus saith the king. <laughs> By decree of the king... Listen, listen, this will happen. That's a herald. In, in other words, a herald was an announcer or proclaimer who acted on behalf and spoke on behalf of a king or high official. And that is what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus is the king and he sends us, all of us, out into the world to be his heralds, his proclaimers, his announcers of what? Of good news. Of the gospel. The gospel of the good news that he is the king. And that is good news, isn't it? I think in the light of what's happening in South Africa in government, I mean, it's especially good news. You know? You want to come under new management? Follow Jesus. Join his kingdom. Make him your king. Stop complaining about other leaders. Stop complaining about worldly leaders. All worldly leaders will let you down ultimately. Follow the ultimate leader, Jesus. So, that's what proclaiming is. And, and there, you know, there are sort of, there's, there's preaching on th about three levels. One, one level, sort of the third level, is what I'm doing. You know, preaching a sermon. And that's an important part of, of, of preaching. But that's by no means the most important part or the only part of preaching. I mean, there are other forms of preaching as well, like um, sharing a word in a small group. That's a form of preaching. What uh, Trevor and Sharon and, and, and the gang are doing at Kitty's Church, you know, presenting a lesson at Kitty's Church, that's also a form of preaching. When I read the Bible with my kids in the evening and share the Word of God with them, that's also a form of preaching. It's proclaiming the Word. It's proclaiming the good news. 
Oh, I mean, that, so there's that second level, which is sort of a, a more formal level, you know, presenting a Sunday school class or presenting a, a teaching at Bible school or presenting a, um, you know, teaching at Kiddies Church or something. That's, it's, it's sort of formal, but it's not quite a sermon. So a sermon on level three, that, that formal preaching, but not quite a sermon on level two. And then on level one, there's just any sharing of the gospel. You know, you standing next to the water fountain, you know, sharing the gospel with your colleague. That's preaching. You going home over the holidays and sharing the gospel with your dad over a cup of coffee at Mug and Bean. That's preaching. It's very informal, but it's preaching nonetheless. And that's preaching that level two, level one, we all do. Level two, most of us must grow into. Even though all of us do not do level three and maybe preach sermons, and maybe some, some will never preach sermons, that doesn't matter. You are preaching. And you will be preaching if you're a Christian. And he calls us, and then he, he calls us to himself because he wants us. And then he appoints us to be with him, to become like him, and he trains us. And then he sends us out to preach the good news. And we forget. We forget that the good news is news. People don't know it. That's why we have to announce it. We have to tell them about it. It's news. Yes, it's good news. And people need to hear good news because, for crying out loud, there's so much bad news in the world today, right? But it's news. We forget that because we, we think that because we know it, everyone knows it. People don't know it. Even people who think they know it don't know it. They don't know the good news. Even people who have been sitting in church, many people who have been sitting in church for years, have never actually heard the gospel properly explained to them. They don't know it. Many of you know that from experience because you had been sitting in church for years, maybe even decades, and then one day you heard the gospel and, ping, the penny dropped. And you surrendered your life to Jesus and he became your king. And you realized, wow, I'd heard this so many times, I just hadn't understood it. It's news to me. It's news to me. Um, just to show you the power of this old idea of preaching and being a representative there's this, this story that, that you can find it on the internet if you go there's this um guy who was a terrible king you know of the seleucid empire he lived or he reigned from about 175 before christ to about 164 his name was um antiochus epiphanes antiochus the fourth epiphanes and uh, he was a sort of syrian seleucid or syrian king but he was a terrible guy i mean he, he um, he tortured the Jews terribly. He, he suppressed them. He, he forbade them to have, you know, Sabbath, to make sacrifices. He sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple to desecrate the temple. And, and he, he tortured the, the, the Jews who didn't want to obey this terribly. So he, was a, he was a terrible king. And, and, and he was on this one campaign. He was going to um, Egypt to go and conquer Egypt. And he had this massive army, you know, and they were galloping along, you know, towards Egypt, and right at the border of Egypt, a guy met him. Let me just read the, the name of the guy, because I wasn't really going to get it wrong. Gaius uh, Papilius um, Linus, or whatever you, however you pronounce that. So Gaius, and, and this Gaius was an old man. He was an old man, but he was an ambassador for the Roman Republic, for the Roman Senate. And he'd been sent by the Roman Senate, and he came with a few of his servants 
and he stood before this mighty army of Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, an old man, and he sort of came closer to, to him and he said, Antiochus, the Roman Senate says you will not conquer Egypt. You will pull back. And, and, and Antiochus was like, he was a bit afraid because he, the Romans were the big dogs on the block in, the, in that time. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll talk to my council about it. And Gaius, and this is where we get the phrase from, drew a line in the sand. He drew a, sand, a circle in the sand around Antiochus. And he said, before you leave this circle, you will give me your answer. If you leave the circle without um, assuring us that you will pull back your army and not attack Egypt, then we will take it as a declaration of war on the Roman Republic. And Antiochus said, okay, fine, <laughs> we will draw back. And then Gaius shook his hand and said, good. That's the power of an ambassador. That's the power of a representative. He was this old man. I mean, Antiochus was, you know, a king in his prime. He could have killed him himself if he wanted to. He could have just pulled out his sword and killed this old man. You know, it's that the power that this man had was not physical power. It was not strength. It was not like, like, like Antiochus Epiphanes was scared of him personally. He was scared of what he represented. He represented the might of the Roman Republic and of the Roman army. He had, as an ambassador of Rome, the whole power of Rome, of the Roman Republic and the Roman army behind him. And that is what you have if you're a preacher. You're a representative of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador for Christ. And when you speak, people will listen, not because they respect you, or because you're so impressive, or so, Im so imposing, or so powerful, but because the one whom you represent, and the kingdom that you represent is so powerful. That is the authority that you can speak with. Not your personal authority, but the authority of the one who sent you. Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. But Jesus didn't only send them to preach the good news. He sent, gave them authority to cast out demons. You know, it was not only the proclamation of the gospel, but the demonstration of the gospel. In other words, <clears throat> what, is, what, is, what is it to have authority to cast out demons? A lot of people don't even believe in demons anymore. They think demons have gone extinct. Or, or demons was the way that people in those days explained psychological, um, what do you call it? You know, diseases or something, you know. We now understand that when, when they, what they would have said is someone having a demon, you know, and like, what's that legion, you know, the guy speaking, you know, through, through the guy. You know, that's, that's someone with a split personality. That's someone with schizophrenia. Well, from experience, I can tell you, you know, I've, I've had some interaction with, with people who have demons. You know, when you cast out the demon, it's, it's strange. The split personality leaves too. Now, I'm not saying that all split personalities are demons, but I'm saying certainly some are. Now, this guy speaks through someone, through a lady in a man's voice. And then you say to the demon, get out in Jesus' name. She screams, the demon's gone, and she speaks in a normal voice. Uh, this one pastor, um, Pastor Mac, was, was telling us about this, this uh, mission team. He took on a trip to, um, I 
I can't remember what the country was. It was some other, I think it was a Southern African um, country. And um, they went to a school which, which was a Christian school. And he started preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, all the kids, and they were like, you know, sort of grade 8, grade 9, grade 10, somewhere around there. All of them started manifesting demons and started falling on the ground, foaming at the mouth, writhing around like snakes and stuff. And they were like, what's going on here? And, and he started laying hands on people and casting out the demons. And, and um, you know, this team was, was an inexperienced team. And they were looking at him with this big eyes like him and his wife were like casting out demons. And he was like, there was like 40, 50 kids there. He was like looking at them and said, what are you guys looking at? Come on, you know. <laughs> Help me here, you know. Let's get to work, you know. Let's start casting out demons. Like, okay, okay. How do we do it? You know, just say, get out in Jesus' name. And these little young Christians came, you know, get out in Jesus' name. And the demons left. And they cast out lots of demons out of these kids. And later on, they, they, they found out, you know, that um, even though it was a Christian school, these kids were sleeping around like, excuse the term, like rabbits, you know. <laughs> they were having sex left, right, and center with one another. And that's where the demons, you know, came in. But, but here's the thing. Demons are those things that will keep you away from Jesus and that'll keep you away from responding from coming to him when he calls you from responding to the gospel in other words we don't only preach the gospel but we eliminate those spiritual powers which would prevent people from responding to the gospel does that make sense so you just go down one more Back to our original little diagram. Jesus calls those he desires. Then he appoints them to be with him. Right? Very important. And then he sends them out to preach and to deliver. And them going out, in other words, us going out to preach and deliver, is once again, that that completes the circle. That is Jesus through them calling those he wants for himself. Can you see that? Us going out, us being sent out to preach the word and to deliver people from that will keep them away from responding to the word is Jesus through us calling to himself those he wants, those he desires and starting the process all over again. And that is discipleship. That is discipleship. And we have the privilege of being part of it. So the only ways we can experience the presence of Jesus, this side of the ascension, is through his word, his spirit, and the people, his people. And discipleship is when people come together under the word and the spirit. That's where discipleship happens. So in other words, the picture I want you to remember, just go to the next slide, is that this picture. The word, the spirit, and the people. And discipleship happens there at the inter- intersection of the three. If you can bring people together who minister the word in the power of the spirit, then you will make disciples. And that's what we're about. That's what we're about. Now, in closing, I just want to encourage you. um, We're going to be talking about this a lot more. We're going to be sharing. uh, This is some of what we're going to be sharing on the camp. So I'm giving you a foretaste of, of what we're going to be sharing on the camp. And I, and I really want to encourage you, like um, Izan also said, this camp, this Converge camp, 4 to 6 November, it's, it's, not, it's not optional. 
It, it really is compulsory. We really, really want everyone to come, if at all possible. It's not going to be just a, um, a camp for small group leaders to train small group leaders, and we're not going to do small group training, you know, that we've done before. We're going to be sharing. We're going to be talking about our vision to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, what we spoke about this morning, leadership development and church planting. We're going to be talking about how practically we're going to be doing that at the end of this year and beginning of next year. And if you're not at the camp, you're going to miss out on that, and you're not going to understand what we're going to be doing because we're going to do a few things different. So I really want you, if at all possible, even if you're not officially a member of this congregation, come and be there. It's really going to be powerful. We're not only we're going to care together, so we're going to experience the presence of Jesus amongst one another. We're going to worship together. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about our vision, doing a SWOT analysis <laughs> of, of our church and, uh, and, and of our city and, and how we can reach the city for Jesus. And we're going to be talking about how to do discipleship in detail. And we're going to make it pra- practical. We're going to train you. We're not only going to tell you. We're, going to, we're not only going to say it. We're going to show it. And then we're going to support you as you uh, start doing it. And then we're going to send you. And we want to equip you to be able to make disciples. Many of you think, I'd like to make disciples, but I don't know how. I don't have the confidence. Just come to the camp. We're going to give you a real kickstart there on how to do that. If you don't have money, please, if you don't have the, the money, come and talk to us. Don't let the, uh, you know, a lack of cash prevent you from, from coming. You know, or talk to your small group. You know, get someone in the small group to sponsor you. Um, even if you can't come the whole weekend, you know, come as a day visitor. Come at least the Saturday, and, and, and if you can, the Sunday. Come and eat with us. Come and spend time with us. We, we're going to take, this is just the tip of the iceberg that I've been sharing here this morning. We're going to take these stuff, and we're going to really unpack it and really try and train you so that you are confident to be able to make disciples where you are now so please uh, please be there um, it's really going to be crucial for for what we're going to do as a church going forward then I just want us to, to all stand please <clears throat> just just close your eyes right there I just want us to, to, to respond in two ways. First, I want us to respond as disciples, and then I want us to respond, to respond as disciple makers. Now, for some of you, as I was sharing this morning, you realized I had a misconception about what it means to be a disciple. I thought being a disciple was running around and doing stuff for Jesus, and now I realize that first and foremost, it's, it's, it's about coming and being with him. And if that's you, I just while your eyes are closed, just... just I want you to put up your hand. I'm not even going to call you to come forward, but I just want you to put up your hand and say, that's me. I need the Lord to make a few paradigm shifts in my mind and to correct a few wrong perceptions about what it is to be a disciple. Okay, you can drop your hands. I just want you to, whether you put up your hand or not, just say, Lord, I want, I want you to disciple me. Um, just in your own words, just say, Lord, I want you to disciple me. I, I realize I cannot disciple my sh- myself. All I need to do is come and follow you and that you will disciple me. And I want you to disciple me. Lord, I am your disciple. Maybe, maybe you've never said that in your life before. I want you to say it this morning to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, 
I'm your disciple. I come to you to follow you. Even if you have said it, just say it again. The Lord hears your prayers. He always hears your prayers. Then I, I want to, just as disciple makers, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you, you, you say, I, I hear what you say. It makes sense to me. You know, the word, the spirit, and people bringing them together, you know, preaching the word, the, the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel, you know, that's discipleship. And, and, and I, I want to do that. I want to, be in, I want to be used by Jesus to make disciples, but I'm, I, I just don't practically know how and I'm, I'm not confident enough. Uh, also, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I just want you to just put up your hand just as a, as a gesture to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to do it, but I'm just not quite confident enough. I'm, I'm not always sure I have the training, but I want to do it. Just put up your hand and say, that's me. Okay, you can put down your hand. And I just want you to pray and say, Lord Jesus, train me. Train me to be like you and train me to act like you. Train me to make disciples like you made disciples. Just in your own words. Jesus, give me the confidence. You know, I, I just feel the Lord saying, um, you know, if you send a soldier into war and that soldier is well trained, but you give them a feather duster, then they're not going to be confident because their weapon is not appropriate for the situation you're sending them into. And, and many of you, because you had a misconception about what it meant to be a disciple and make disciples, you were like someone going into war with a feather duster. And you didn't understand why you didn't feel confident in this war. <laughs> and now you understand. But the, the, the flip side is, I mean, even if you send someone into war with an AK-47, if you haven't given them the proper training to use that weapon, they're still not going to be confident. And some of you, you're rushing, you know, into war with this AK-47 and you're shooting a bullet left, right and center. And there are, you know, there's casualties and, 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 and collateral damage because you haven't been properly trained on how to use this weapon. And you're also not quite confident. And Jesus wants to remedy both of those situations. Let's just close our eyes. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning as... As people who, who, who have come to you, as people who are coming to you, and as people who want to come to you. And we say, Lord Jesus, thank you that we can be your disciples. Thank you that we can partner with you and be used by you to make disciples. Please mold us and make us. Please form us to be fishers of men. As you promised. We receive that promise. We believe that promise. And Lord, we pray that this will be a season of training for us. Lord, a, a spiritual boot camp, as it were. Where you train us to be disciples and to be disciple makers. Come and have your way in us. Come and advance your kingdom through us. Lord, we want to cast aside all doubt. We want to cast aside all cowardice. And we, we, we want to look to you. You were so brave. You did not flinch in the face of death. You rushed into battle. And you were victorious. You were victorious even despite dying. And we want to draw courage from your courage. 
and we want to rush into battle. And we know, Lord Jesus, that you are our commander-in-chief. You are the captain of our salvation. You will lead us into battle with courage. You will lead us onto the field of battle with courage. And you will lead us off the field of battle with honor. And we just say, yes, Jesus, lead us. We will follow you. We will obey you. Not because of our strength, but because of your grace. Lord, I just want to pray your blessing over every single person here. I want to pray that you'll bless them, Lord God, to be able to, by your grace and by your spirit, to be able to obey what you have spoken to their hearts this morning. Thank you that you've spoken to every heart this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you'll enable them, that you'll bless them with the ability to obey you as they go out today and during the rest of the week and during the rest of their lives. I just feel that the Lord says that there are some of you who have to go and write down what He has spoken to you this morning, what He has taught you this morning. You have to go and write it down. You've got to go meditate on it. You've got to go pray about it because God wants to work that into your life until it becomes a habit, until you can do it without thinking about it, like riding a bike or driving a car. Thank you, Lord. We just surrender ourselves to you. We pray, Lord, that as a community of disciples, you will have your way in us and you will use us to change this city and to change this world in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.